0: got some really good news to share with you all. While we were singing, I got a text from Andrew Ruby. Their baby was born just a few minutes ago. At 8.22 this morning, 8 pounds, 10 ounces, 19 and a half inches, Sutton Jane Ruby. We are happy for them and praise God for a healthy baby. And want to make sure in your bulletin... Um, I think they were due today, but we'll delay that a little bit longer, extend that. Uh, This is their fourth child, and so we're not having an actual baby shower here at church for them, but we are collecting diapers, wipes, and gift cards that we can give to them, show some love, all right? Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father in heaven, we pray your blessing right now on Rebecca Ruby as she's recovering from delivering a baby. Lord, we pray you give her strength and health. God, we pray also for uh, Andrew, that you would help him to be a good, godly father now to four, as well as a husband to Rebecca. And God, I pray for that little baby. I pray that you would bless that little child. And Father, I pray for us as a church, that we would love that family, that we would support them and encourage them. And Father, we thank you that you give us children. Father, now we come to your word, and we are ready. We are hungry and eager. We look to it. We began Habakkuk. Father, we are learning. We pray that your Holy Spirit, God, would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and that we would believe your word, and that through it all, God, you would shape us into faithful followers of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. If you would, turn back in the Bible to Habakkuk 1. One. So we started that last week. We went through the first 11 verses. Today we're going to pick back up in Habakkuk. And we're going to start at verse 12 and go to a little bit into chapter 2. Uh, as I find myself aging quickly, I am more and more and more and more um, interested and in tune or inclined to look to men older than me or a little bit further ahead of me in life and to see what they're like and 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 uh, what they're thinking. And I have heard quite a few times this sort of phrase. If I knew then what I know now, I may have done this differently. You hear that quite a bit. My dad is now in his late 60s. And the difference between... My dad, while he was working, and my dad, while he was retired, he's only been retired for two years, the difference between my working dad, his whole life that I knew him, and then now, just recently, in this retired stage, two different people. Two different people, really. Two different personalities, almost. But this phrase of, if I knew then what I know now, you know, is is something that we're all going to say when we get to heaven. The Bible teaches us when we get to heaven, everything's going to be clear. All of our questions will be answered. I don't know if we will ask them at that point. You know, a lot of times we like to say, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask this, and I'm going to ask this, and then I'll understand a lot of things. But what I truly, and and I hope that does get to happen, but what I truly think will happen is that we will be so uh, overcome by truth and 100% goodness that those questions won't concern us like they do now. We get hung up on a lot of things, and rightly so. I mean, good questions. But when we get to heaven and we see God completely right, we will say, if I knew then what I know now. And you know, that's also true when we're When we're complaining. You remember last week I showed you, we started in Habakkuk, that Habakkuk had a complaint. And so he was complaining to God and we talked about that. And Habakkuk's complaint at the beginning of Habakkuk is this, God, your people don't look like your people. Your people aren't faithful. And that's a problem. So it wasn't one of these kind of selfish complaints. Remember, I talked about that last week. It wasn't one of these selfish complaints of, why aren't you doing something for me? It was a good complaint. Like, hey, they say they know God Almighty, but they don't live like it. They say they are the people of God, but they don't live like it. Their lives are full of uh, sinfulness and disobedience, and they're more like the world. They're ungodly. And yet, you are calling them your people, God. This is not right. And it seems like you're doing nothing about it. That was Habakkuk's complaint. And then God answers back to him and says, I'm going to deal with it. God had a plan. God has a plan. He had a plan then. He has a plan always. And Habakkuk was living um, then what he didn't know now. And so God starts to answer him and things start to come into play. So, after God answers him, Habakkuk responds again. So, the book of Habakkuk, this minor prophet, is in some ways a back and forth between God and his man, the prophet. So, read with me, beginning of verse 12. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at my watchpost and state, station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. We're gonna stop there. I'm gonna finish out uh, the next few verses, but I'll hold off on reading it. So here's what happens God responds back in last week's passage. Uh, that that he knows he's got a plan and so Habakkuk takes that and now adjusts his complaint. It's a second complaint from Habakkuk but it's one where he says "I, I know who you are God that's why I'm complaining. And so it sounds, at first, a little bit better. You see there in verse 12, he says, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? So he, he knows who God is. He has this big view. He's seemingly complaining from faith. He's seemingly complaining from trust in who God is. He's saying good things, that God is an everlasting God. O Lord my God. And he uses this phrase right here in verse 12, My Holy One. This is the only place in all of the word of God where that phrase is used. Habakkuk is the only person in all of the word of God to refer to God in that way. This is the only place, my holy one. This kind of sweet and, and, and healthy uh, possession, possessive, claiming that the holy God is my holy God, my holy one. He's talking to God in that way. So you can see that he's He's complaining, but he's not wanting it to be a a bad, ugly complaint. It's just a complaint. Now, as we're going to see, it's still a bad complaint. But I want you to kind of feel for Habakkuk a little bit that he he seems justified. He seems right a little bit in what he's saying. He goes on and says, we shall not die. This is a neat line because his complaint was God your people don't look like you and God's answer is I know I see it I've got a plan I'm going to deal with it and his plan is that he's sending up a worse nation the Chaldeans the Babylonians to come and to destroy and judge his people that's his plan so now Habakkuk's like well wait a second that's a harsh response He knows that discipline and judgment is a good thing, but God comes on very strong with what he says he's going to do. And so now Habakkuk has to say to his everlasting God, We won't die. And there's a good truth here. If you know anything about God, you know that he has made promises to be a saving God. If you know anything about God, you know that while he is big and grand and everlasting and wrathful and he is a judge, he also is a savior. And so what Habakkuk is getting at here is, yes, God should be a judging God, but God is going to not kill his people. This is what we see in the prophets all the time, that there is a remnant. So that when God judges his people, there's also a people being judged that won't be judged. While God wipes out his people or destroys his people or kills his people, there's also a people that he's going to save. In the midst of his people, there's another people that are believing, that are trusting, that will not die. And so what we have here is Habakkuk is saying, well, we're not going to die. And when he says that, he's referring to people who trust in God as a Savior. What he's meaning is, in the midst of all of us, there are many that are not really trusting in you, God. And they are ungodly. And those are the ones that I'm saying, why aren't you dealing with them? But he's reminding himself and reminding God here that there are some that you won't kill. And he's saying that. It's neat to see how Habakkuk is wrestling with all that he knows and all he's experiencing. Listen, this is very much so how we are. All of us here today know a lot of truth. We understand so many things about God. We read our Bibles. Hey, when we're snowed in and probably we should cancel church, we're here to learn the Bible a little bit more. That's what we're doing. And there are a lot of things that we understand. We're actually studying Habakkuk, right? Y'all never even heard of that before last week. And so we are growing a lot in the Word of God and in His truth, and yet, day to day, we're constantly wrestling with this or with that, or why is this this way, or I wish I understood that better. If I know then what I know now, things would be different. Like That's the type of lives that we live. And Habakkuk's doing that same thing. He just just complained to God in, in last week's passage... That God, your people are living disobedient lives and you're not doing anything about it. And God says, yes, I am. I'm about to destroy them. And now he's already not liking what his complaint was. He's not liking what God's answer is. And so now he's reminding God that, hey, your people aren't going to die. I mean, Habakkuk is wishy-washy like all of us are. So then he starts reminding himself of truth. He says, oh, Lord... You have ordained them as a judgment, which is true. The Chaldeans are going to be used by God to come and judge his people. And you, O rock, have established them for reproof. So listen, he now says that God is his rock. That's good. And he's, God is going to use them to judge his people. Verse 13. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Okay. Now he asks Why? Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? And now we start to see what's going on in Habakkuk. His second complaint is, your response to my first complaint is worse than my original complaint. I said that your people weren't living right, and now you're taking a worse people to kill those people. In Habakkuk's mind, he thinks that God's holiness should have prohibited him from using the corrupt Babylonians. He thinks that God should not do this. Listen to me. The first complaint is if the first complaint is your people aren't faithful then the second complaint is you're not faithful remember last week i said that complaining actually gets at idolatry because it thinks that we know better than god If the first complaint is, God, your people aren't faithful, hey, I need to remind you of that, and God says, hey, I know, then the second complaint is, you're not faithful. If the first complaint is, God, you're not doing anything, then the second complaint is, I don't like what you're doing, God. This hits home, does it not? Isn't that what all complaints actually are? I don't like what you're doing, God. That's not the way I would have done it. God, I have a better idea. God, I would have been so much happier if you did it this way. God, things would have worked out better if you did it this way. We would have had four times as many people here as this for this sermon if it had not snowed today. And I know some complainers that really should have been here today, right? We think like that. But Habakkuk's not saying, you idiot, why'd you do it that way? He's not. He's saying, but I know who you are, God. And it seems that you're not doing what you should do. It seems that you're doing it wrong. Now, part of his problem here is that the Chaldeans are so bad. Watch what he says next, okay? So he asks, why are you doing it this way? But look what he describes here about the Chaldeans. And if you know much about history, you know there are some mean, bad people out there, all right? So watch what he describes, verse 14. You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. So he's describing now the world as this thing that seems to have no morality to it, and they just go and do wild things, like you kill a whole bunch of fish or something like that. That's what he's describing, verse 15. When he says he, okay, here's a little side note. When he says he, he's referring to the the, the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, that evil nation that God is going to use to judge his people. He's referring to them verse 15, he brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet so he rejoices and is glad. When the Babylonians would attack a nation and just wipe out hundreds and thousands of people and destroy all of them, it was ruthless. Often nets, often ropes, often hooks often just terrible and just taking all of them like they have no concern for people and life and humanity. And He's describing this. Verse 16, Therefore he sacrifices to his net, makes offerings to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? Habakkuk's saying, God... I did want you to judge your people so that they would look holy like you are, but what you're saying you're going to do sounds awful. You're taking something bad and then taking something much worse and using it to deal with the bad. So the, the, the answer to my second complaint, God, is worse than the answer to my first complaint. Habakkuk's having a hard time with God judging and Habakkuk's having a hard time with it because, listen, this is going to bother you. Because Habakkuk, listen, has in his mind what all of us do. Inside every bit of us, there's this little bit of thinking we deserve things. And we think that we deserve things, listen to me, based off of being good and earning it. We do. I deserve a, a me day. I just deserve one of those days where everything works out right. I deserve one of those days where I'm all by myself. Or you know, We, we start thinking that way. That coworker got a bonus. I mean, I deserve it more than him. I've been here longer and done a better job. We, we get that. We get that way. This is what Habakkuk's thinking. In verse 13, he literally says, you're taking a worse nation and using them to judge a nation, look, more righteous than them. He's saying, and you hear this all the time, it's not fair, God. I want to encourage you as a Christian, as a part of First Baptist Church of Fairdale, to be extremely cautious when you start saying, that's not fair. One, because we're really bad at knowing what's fair. If we knew then what we know now, we would not have said, that's not fair. Right? Right? We are a really bad judge at knowing what is fair and what we need and what we deserve, okay? Second of all, you've lived long enough to know, right, it's not fair and it's not going to be fair. Life's not fair and it's not going to work out. So let's get better at using that. Most of the time what's happening, if we're honest, is that we found ourselves hurting, sulking a little bit, pitying ourselves a little bit, and we're just saying it's not fair. It seems like this is not fair. And now this is Habakkuk's complaints. And I want to encourage us to be careful with this, saying it's not fair that we're better than them, that we're more righteous than them. And if we're more better than them or if we're more righteous than them, then we deserve more than them because he literally says that there in verse 13. Now, don't get me wrong. The Bible does have promises for God's people that we can stand upon. And so all of this is in the back of Habakkuk's mind. But this does not mean, okay, I'm gonna let you see into the complaint. Nothing here is showing that God's not keeping his promise. It's that Habakkuk thinks God's not keeping his promise. God's promise is that he's going to save you for eternity. And that promise is certainly true. So Habakkuk's wrestling with all of this. The ESV study Bible says this. If a righteous God does not step in and end the Babylonian's wicked plan, then who will? Where is God's justice? And how can he tolerate this? This is what Habakkuk's thinking. This really seems to be off, God. Bad people that don't acknowledge you doing bad things, and you're saying that that's your plan, God? I'm confused, Habakkuk says. So what does he do? Now, let's find some encouragement here. He doesn't run. He doesn't give up. He doesn't quit. He doesn't deny the faith and stop attending church. He doesn't start questioning everything around him. There's still a lot that he holds very true to. He just doesn't understand this situation and he's complaining to God. He does not give up here. So look what he says he does in verse chapter 2, verse 1. I like this. We've got a lot to learn here. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. So it's like Habakkuk said, all right, God, here's my second complaint. My first complaint, I didn't like what you weren't paying attention. My second complaint is I don't like what you've answered. But I know you're God. And I know that I have no other hope besides you. So I'm going to go sit down over here, God, and I'm going to wait for you to answer me. My ears are open, my eyes are open, my heart's ready. Tell me what's going on here. That's a good place to be. Listen, I know that your lives, my life, our lives, t- beginning this afternoon, beginning tomorrow, this year, the future of our lives, every one of us will be in spots that we hurt, that we're confused, that we want answers. All of us will. Don't run from God, run to God. Don't run from God, run to God. Bow yourself down and say, God, I'm going to wait for you to answer me. God, I'm going to sit my little self right here. I'm going to bow my knee and I'm going to see what you're trying to do. It doesn't seem like what I would do, God. I'm going to let you know what my complaint is. But I'm going to post myself up right here and I'm going to see what your answer is. See, Habakkuk's good for us. Because it's got a balance of what we're really like and what we really should be. It's got that balance there. What we're like and what we should be. He says, I will post myself up and I will wait to see what you're going to answer to me. You remember Job kind of ends that way too. You remember that? If you're familiar with the book of Job right before Psalms, Job's life goes terribly, terribly wrong in the first two chapters. And all of this bad stuff's happening. And so Job and his friends are just torn up on why, 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 why is this happening? And if Job knew then what he knows now, we wouldn't have the whole book of Job. We wouldn't have chapters 3 through 37. What happened in Job is that Satan wanted to attack Job, and so God lets him. But God says in all of Satan's attacking, he can't really hurt Job. God's got Job under control. Well, he was hurting him physically, but he wasn't hurting him spiritually. Job didn't know that. So at the end, after enough complaining, listen, it's a great book to read, At the end, after all of the complaining, God answers Job. And Job finds himself going, okay, I put my hand over my mouth. I won't say anything else. You talk to me. I'm listening. And Habakkuk's moving himself there. We'll get that more next week and the next week as we get into chapter two and into chapter three. But Habakkuk has faith to where he is looking to God. Hey, the next time you're complaining, the next time you want to say, that's not fair, I deserve better, look to God. Don't look away from him. Run to God. Don't run away from him. This God that you wrestle with at times sent his son to die on the cross for you. And when Jesus died on the cross for you, God was fully, completely mindful of all our sins. Not just a big, huge pile of sins, but every one of our sins, from the past, from the future, all of our sins. Every bit of disobedience, every bit of doubt, every bit of rebellion, every bit of meanness and ugliness in us, God was fully aware of it and focused on it, and God punished it, judged it in Christ. Bible says poured out his wrath on Christ. Killed Jesus for us because he loves us. God knows what he's doing. His plan is perfect. It is sufficient. We can trust it. And so when you are tempted to say it's not fair, I wouldn't do it this way. I sure wish it was another way. Why 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 God? When you are tempted to complain, remember that if you think you can trust him for your salvation through the work of Christ on the cross, you can certainly trust him with all of your worries and concerns. Since I'm hearing so much about anxiety and mental health, and I'm hearing that so much about teenagers too, this week I got to do a Bible study with the girls' basketball team up at the high school. And just knowing that so many of our our teenagers and young adults are using these phrases, anxiety and stress and depression and mental health and those sort of things are so common that I just felt led to read with them what Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter six. When Jesus says, do you see the birds? They always eat. They've never not had food. You know why? Because their father, God, always feeds them. The birds don't have to worry about eating because they will always be fed by God. Jesus goes on and he says, do you see the flowers in the field? Do you see how beautiful they are? Do you see the colors and the the majesty that just looks incredible in a field of flowers in full bloom? It just looks awesome. He says the wealthiest king ever, Solomon, never looked as good in all of his beautiful dress and robes. He never looked as good as them. Do you know why? Because God makes sure those flowers are clothed. And Jesus says, if those birds and flowers are provided for If God is thinking about them and aware of them, oh, shouldn't you trust that he's thinking about you, that he's aware of you? Don't worry about things that you don't know about. Trust God. Habakkuk here is wrestling with a lot of things that he should not be wrestling with. Granted, they're real issues. His people are unfaithful, and God's answer to it is a strong, ugly judgment. But he's wrestling with if God should do that, and if that's right, fair, and just, and it just doesn't seem right in his mind. And he's all over the place with it. But at least he does say, I'll post up now and see what you're going to say. And God answers, chapter 2, verse 2. And the Lord answered me, now the second time. Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. So in a really interesting way, God says, write this down. Make sure you know about it. Make sure my people know about it make sure those who are about to receive it know about it, make sure the Chaldeans that are about to get it too, make sure they know about it, make sure everybody future knows about it, make sure my church forever knows about it, make sure First Baptist Church Fairdale knows about it, make sure nobody is going to keep questioning and complaining what I'm doing and why I do it, I'm God Almighty, I make everything, I know what I'm doing, I'm your father in heaven, I can be trusted, write it down Habakkuk, you're going to question me, here's my answer, write it down, make sure you know, make sure they know, make everybody knows and if you don't like the timing wait he says it's coming wait and then he says this verse 4 behold his soul is puffed up it is not right within him God answers Habakkuk in one of those humble Subtle, powerful ways. You're right. They're wrong. Won't that calm you down quite a bit? Because Habakkuk thought that God was okay with all the wrong. That's what injustice is, right? Being okay with something that's wrong. Habakkuk thought God was okay with all the wrong. And he wasn't okay with it. He's never been okay with it. God is never okay with wrong ever. And just because he doesn't deal with it right now does not mean he's not God. It means you think you are and you need to repent of that. And so God answers back, yeah, they're bad. They're wrong. They're arrogant. They're puffed up. Look what he says next. Instead of going all in on how he's going to fix them, instead of going all in on, okay, Habakkuk, let's team up together. Let's go knock them out. Let's put them in. Instead of all that, he immediately comes back to Habakkuk and says, the righteous shall live by his faith. What God, last week, my points were our complaints and God's concern. The same thing is true here today. God's concern is if you are going to claim Christ as Savior, trust him. Him live by that faith. The righteous shall live by his. In other words, he's saying to Habakkuk, Habakkuk, if you recognize these things, you don't think I recognize these things. If you've got two eyes to see this, i got countless eyes to see this. If you've got your senses up to see all the injustice in the world, think about how much I'm recognizing all the injustice in the world. If you think you're offended by unfaithful people, how much do you think I'm offended by unfaithful people? If you think you are seeing and observing and recognizing more than I am, Habakkuk, you are foolish. I see it. And you know know what I'm concerned about? You walking by faith. You believing me. You being what you said you are. You're worried about everybody else when you should be worried about you. I'll take care of everybody else. You worry about you. The righteous will live by his faith. It's fascinating. And if we had a couple more hours, we could go ahead and finish out the book and you're going to love it. Let me encourage you, the rest of this week, getting set for tomorrow, to read the rest of Habakkuk. Habakkuk changes completely once he finally gets his faith grounded in who God is and what God says. It's awesome. Now, this verse right here, and here's how we're going to end. This verse right here, the righteous shall live by his faith, is quoted three times in the New Testament, all right? We got five minutes left. I want you to roll with me to look at all three of these. The first is Romans 1.17. So I want you to see all of them. Romans 1.17. Remember the phrase, the righteous will live by his faith. Romans one seventeen is the passage that comes with Romans one sixteen, which is, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. This huge, awesome verse that is memorized by many people. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Verse 17, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written in Habakkuk, the righteous shall live by faith. You know what Paul's saying here at the beginning of Romans? Because you know Romans is this big, long book. Many have said it's the, it's the most complete, thorough, technical, theological work ever written, Romans is. Big, long explanation on salvation. You know what he's saying in Romans 1, 16 and 17? Look at how awesome God is. Anybody at all can be saved. Jewish, Gentile, anybody in between, whoever you are, that there is power in God to save any person from their sins if they will believe. That is the gospel. If you will believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, bow your knee, confess your sins, and call out to Jesus as Lord and Savior and cry out to him for salvation, he will save you. And when he's making that point, Paul brings up Habakkuk 2.4. The righteous live by faith. See, here's what's true. Righteous people are not righteous because of the way they live. They're righteous because of what they believe. And when they are righteous because of what they believe, God starts to work in them to live obedient, righteous lives. But that's not their righteousness. Please don't confuse that. Righteous people are righteous because of what they believe. When you believe the gospel, you get Jesus' righteousness. When God calls somebody righteous, it doesn't mean they live right all the time. It means they trust in Jesus who did live right all the time. And typically, when somebody trusts in Jesus who lives right all the time and is righteous, then God starts to produce in them a right way of living. But people still sin. But their faith, their ground, their trust, their hope, their salvation is in Jesus only. And the, 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 the thing that hangs from heaven or the path to get to heaven or the road to get to heaven is Jesus alone and that's it. It's no righteousness in and of ourselves. It is only in Jesus. And so when Paul's making that point at the beginning of Romans 1 that the power of God is in the gospel and if anybody believes it, they'll be saved and made righteous. He remembers, yeah, Habakkuk says, the righteous live by faith. We'll turn to Galatians 3. He uses it again here. Same thing, but a little bit of a different conversation. Galatians chapter 3. He's in this big conversation with Jews should they be circumcised or not, right? You talk to people from different walks of life, different backgrounds, different religions or whatever. We start talking about, well, do you have to do this to be saved, right? Y'all have all heard the question, do you have to be baptized to be saved? Do you have to do this to be saved? Do you have to go to church to be saved? Do you have to be circumcised to be saved, right? You have to ask, people ask all of these questions. And all of those could be defined as a work. And this is the conversation here in Galatians, whether Jews need to be circumcised if they're going to be saved and go to heaven. Verse 10 says... For all, if you don't know this passage, this is going to be good for you. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. Not only is it not going to save you, it's not saving you. It is cursing you to think that goodness or good works or obedience will get you to heaven. It won't. And the next time you're at a funeral and somebody says, if that man isn't in heaven, I don't know who is because he was such a good guy. I want you to let it go in one ear and out the other because that's not how you get to heaven. If you think the man laying in the casket is in heaven because of how good or bad he is, you've missed it. You've missed the whole thing. And don't get me wrong, hoping in Christ should make you a better man. But the only way is hoping in Christ. He just said right there, all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Verse 11. Now It is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. No one for the righteous shall live by faith. So if the Bible has strong teaching that nobody anywhere is going to be saved, that's why, hey, 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 good uh, good American, you know, good Mexican, good Muslim, good Mormon, good this, good that, good uh, homosexual person, good heterosexual person, because there are all of those. None of that even comes close to being able to save you. Good Baptist, eh, none of that will save you. Learn what the Bible says. Learn about life. Every one of us is flawed. Every one of us has sinned against God, and it will not get you to heaven. What will? Faith in Christ, the only thing faith in Christ. So he brings up here in this huge discussion over works of the law cannot save you, he says, yeah, Habakkuk. Habakkuk 2:4. Habakkuk 2:4. The righteous live by faith. One other place, Hebrews 10, the passage that uh, Josh Womble read earlier, Hebrews 10. This is a passage about warning people to not give up, to not fall away. This is a passage warning people to stick it out and be tough and have faith. Hebrews 10, verse 35 says, Therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will, not, will come and will not delay Look what it says. But my righteous ones shall live by faith. Here he's talking about endurance, don't give up. In Galatians, he's talking about works of the law and thinking that we've earned something. In Romans 1, he's talking about the power of God and the gospel to save. And in all three, he remembers Habakkuk. Now, what's the context of Habakkuk? God's man, the prophet, believing God, yet looking around and thinking, I'm not so sure about the way you're doing things, God. I got some complaints here and I got some complaints there. Seems like your answer's worse than the initial problem. And God answers back and says, Habakkuk, if you're going to believe me, believe me. If you're going to trust me, trust me. One commentator says, The Chaldeans are described as puffed up. They overrate their own importance and are thus not upright. In contrast, the righteous, those who are right with God, will live by faith. Living by faith here has two aspects, both of which are equally important. First, it refers to, listen to this, an attitude of life lived in dependence on God. One's faith is foundational to righteousness as Paul repeatedly makes clear, but it also involves faithfulness, calling for a recognition, listen to this, of God's trustworthiness. Listen, faith calls for a recognition of God's trustworthiness. Even when circumstances are challenging, see, Habakkuk believes God But in this setting, he's not sure if he trusts his way. He's not sure if he trusts his plan. Guys, that's not faith. Faith is, God, you know best. God, I'm not sure what you're doing, but I'll trust you. Faith is, I've never been this way before, God, but I trust you know how to get there. Faith is, Well, we do it differently than that, but I trust you know how to do it too. Faith is, you know better for my life than I do. Faith is, you know better for your world, God, than I do. If you can trust God with your sins, that's the biggest thing, then you should be able to trust him with everything else. Those are smaller things. Now, Habakkuk's pointing out to us that if we don't trust him in the other things, then are we really trusting him with our sins? Because the righteous live by faith. If you're here today and what you call your faith or your Christianity is still really you thinking that you're good and earning it and deserving it, would you repent of that today? Would you say, God, help me stop thinking that way? I want you to be the best people you can. I want you to be the best citizens in all of Louisville. But I want you to know it's not getting you to God. I want you to say, I'm doing that because God's been so good to me. I'm trusting in Jesus who died on the cross for me to save me. And since God is so at work in me, by my faith, I want to live for him. Fully admitting, my my obedience doesn't get me anywhere. The righteous live by faith. If you're not, do it today. Commit yourself to Christ. If there's ever been a Sunday where you've been too nervous to come forward, today's a good day. We're about a quarter of the size. righteous live by faith. May we do that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for Habakkuk and the complaints. And thank you, God, that we've been reminded to not puff ourselves up and think we know better. God, thank you for the reminder to live by faith. Lord, would you, by your grace, help us to do that? We ask for your help now as we respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.